This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. It's Monday. It's MPB Think Radio, and it's Deep South Dining. And everything's kind of juicy. juicy. Some mornings. Thanks, Java. Some mornings more than others. I appreciate y'all letting me slide that in there. M. Tume, the um, uh, artist who created that song, sampled by Notorious B.I.G. for his uh, hit single, Juicy, uh, passed away uh, over the weekend. So you have to put oh. that in there. Well, thanks. I'm glad. Thanks, Java. We can do a little pop culture along with our food report because here. they go together hand in glove how are you ma'am i'm well i'm well we got a lot to get to so what did you cook what did you do over the past week since you and i've been together here well i've been cooking a lot but the most interesting thing i cooked was pompano the pompano, pompano are running in the gulf yes, in florida are. and uh, someone picked up pompano for us and it came from the boat to our house and it was delicious when Mm. the pompano are running it's good times right it's no marathon but they do run this time of year yeah so tell us how you cooked the beloved pompano the flatfish yes well the pompano is a member of the jack family which i didn't Realize, but not but the jackfruit family. Not the jackfruit family. But um, we really all we do with them is gut them. Luckily, these came gutted. Mm-hmm. Rub them all over with olive oil. This is the only show on MPB where you can discuss gutting. Gutting. Right. <laughs> In a good way. Oh, yeah. It's all good. Is there a, a more um, politically correct thing to say? No. Cleaning. Cleaning. <laughs> but oh. we, just get on with your gutting. Okay, get on with the gutting. So <laughs> you gut your fish, rub them with olive oil, salt and pepper, put a few lemons in the cavity. I had mm. some dill on hand, so I put some dill in the cavity. Soft herbs or hard? These were soft herbs. Okay. And uh, put it on a you know baking sheet and baked them. You know, usually, like, depending on the size, I go for 15 to 18 minutes. I check it at 15 minutes. Well, we had some great pompano also in uh, New Orleans during the New Year's Eve trip that we made down to visit with the Nichols family, and we had it at the restaurant Maypops. And it was uh, similarly cooked with some filet soft herbs. Filet or whole? It was filleted uh-huh. with some soft herbs on top. It was really good. Really yeah, good. yeah. I mean, it's fresh this time of year, so every everybody's doing it. Everybody's looking, everybody's looking for, for a pompano. Now, speaking and, of fresh fish, you and I were the recipients of major Christmas, late fishing. Christmas gift. Yes. Our, our great friend Thomas Williams from Nashville, Tennessee, sent us both. Don't tell Java. Sent us both. Well, when he meets Thomas, he'll get on the Thomas train, too. Yeah, i got to give him a, a nice introduction if uh, he's dropping off gifts like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice half filet of Atlantic, no, king salmon. Aura king salmon. Aura king salmon. From New Zealand, which is one of the most prized salmon on the planet Earth. And man, 
Was it good? Now, we were talking briefly uh, about how we prepared. Let's, let's lead with you. Imagine uh, an entire half of a, what, six, seven, eight-pound salmon? Yeah, well, this, yeah, this is probably three or four pounds. Each. That, you that got a three-pounder. I got a three-pounder. Yes. You got the left. I got the right. So Yeah, okay. Let's talk about how you, how you prepared your— I think got the middle. <laughs> Thomas probably got the bones, and then he made some sort of kubion out of it or something. Well, I took my, I did mine several ways. Excuse me. All right. I did a slow cook method, a low and slow cook method that uh, I first came to my attention. Our friend Anil Primos introduced it to me about 10 years ago. It was mm-hmm. a recipe from uh, Patricia Wells, who is an American who has lived in in Paris and in France for decades and actually wrote for the Herald Tribune and you 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 know uh, put you put olive oil or whatever in your in your pan with the Aura King salmon you don't need much because it has a lot of fat and you cook it at 200 degrees for about i guess 20 you know 20 minutes it it's mm. And, and it, it it has a taste that's between being raw and being really, really cooked. It's kind of just, you know, a creamy, wonderful texture. And Patricia Wells puts a sorrel sauce, but we don't have a hmm. lot of sorrel hanging around no, this time of no. year. So I did like a cold spinach sauce with it. Wow. Well, I took my entire filet and uh, salt, pepper, Olive oil, which you don't need much because this fish is fat. It oozes with fat. <laughs> it does. And um, lemon. And I threw it on the grill and cooked it on the grill. And man, I told Thomas, I said, Thomas, it's like butter. It o- is. It's only like butter. Better. Yeah. And, <laughs> Terrific. And, and you can and you can you know order them on, online. I had never heard of heard of such, but it's a sustainably farmed fish from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And boy, it was a merry well, what Christmas. What a treat. We we talked about interesting gifts, the thing to give if you really love someone. How about give a half a, a salmon? How about a how about a half a salmon or a pa- pack of Benton's bacon? Yeah, which you gave me and yeah, I had and Java. That's right. I just I just ate mine uh, over the weekend. I had terrific uh, bacon sandwiches and eggs and bacon and waffles with bacon. Man, you, it's been a great Christmas for me. How about you? I'm yeah, it was, and I and I have to. I guess I didn't say it last show, but um, I was only the, the recipient of one slice of the bacon <laughs> because I made the mistake and uh, gave it to my parents because I thought we were gonna. I thought they were gonna do something with it for. Christmas and make some kind of dish, but I show up and they like, oh yeah, we got one one piece left for you. <laughs> they did do something with it. They ate it. <laughs> they yeah. just didn't include me in it. Well, so, you know, Malcolm, when I was making my pompano, I was thinking about you because I was thinking of all our good times in Greenwood, Mississippi, which is the pompano capital of Mississippi, oddly enough. Right. Because of Lusco's, Lusco's and, and, and Gardena's. Gardena's. And uh, I was thinking about the fact of this very landlocked town sells more pompano, or I'm, I'm sure it still does. Lusco's is closed, but Gardena's is still going. And the reason why was back in the 30s, uh, Bob Gregory's grandfather, who was a, a cotton factor 
in Greenwood would go to New Orleans, and he had Pompano in New Orleans and actually brought some back on the train and had the people at Lusco's cook it for him. So it became like it's a Greenwood thing. Right. It was the first time I ever had it was in Greenwood. Well, it's a terrific fish if you haven't tried it. Uh, you know, try to get your hands on some because there are, as Carol said, they're running right now, so they're abundant and they won't last long. That yep. This is the season for the fresh pompano. And speaking of fresh fish, um, I went to the farmers market uh, Saturday because Carol, you prompted me to. I, I would have forgotten about it, but you said you need to go down. I only live four or five blocks from. Yeah, the, and I was forty-five minutes. Yeah, from yeah, yeah. It. You said you ought to go down there and see what they got. So I went down there, and man. Uh, I ran into a seafood vendor, but I also found some terrific uh, vegetables. I bought greens. I bought three different kinds of greens with these little baby turnips. Tell us about it. They were so good. You can eat them raw. They're so good. But but I cooked uh, three different kinds of greens, mustard, um, collards, and uh, turnips into a a pot with these wonderful little... uh, Roots and it was a terrific dish. I, I mean, I just salt pepper. Just you put to, all the you mixed all the grains. I, mean, I chop them up and mix them like together. Like if it were on a, on a restaurant menu, it would say mixed grains. mixed grains. And that would not be the salad, but right. that would be the turnip green uh, variety. But uh, I didn't do much to them. I put some uh, chicken stock in there and salt and pepper, and really kept it. I mean, I wanted to taste the greens, and I did. So that was terrific. I also bought. For the first time I've ever done this, I bought sunchokes and made a creamy sunchoke soup. Now, I didn't really know what a sunchoke was. I thought it was related to an artichoke. Right. But no, it's like a small potato. It looks like a clove of ginger with the gnarly, rooty kind of um, body. But you just clean it up, scrub it up, trim it up, and cook it. Um, and I put onion, garlic. But do you peel it like like a potato? I didn't peel it? it. I just cut the tough cut the, edges off. The gnarly the, bits off. Well, I didn't cut all the gnarly off. I cut off some dark spots and scrubbed them and cleaned them up. But anyway, put them in a pot, again, with some chicken broth, salt, pepper, uh, a little bit of olive oil, and uh, a, a, a whole onion and some garlic. Cooked it down and then put the... Uh, uh, immersion blender to it and added heavy cream and man that was a good soup and i'd had that soup once before uh in bay st louis uh, i'm trying to think of the name of the restaurant but that's the only time i'd ever had it anyway i was happy to report that i tried something new and it worked out really so well. it just flung a craving on you when you're at the farmer's market well song. i saw them it was locally grown and i just thought i've never ever worked with these i'm gonna take a uh, take a container of these home and see what I can do with it's a them. very Malcolm Worked thing to very do. Good. But then on the I, there were about I would guess one two three four there were about twenty five vendors there. That's significant uh, for and midwinter. Prob- and probably four of them had greens and root vegetables. All the sweet potatoes were gone. I tried to find you some vardaman sweet potatoes, but the lady said that all their all the sweet potatoes had come and gone. From from her garden, and no one else even had them, so I was unable to get that. But I ran up on a guy selling shrimp. Uh, his name is Jimmy, G-A-I-E-N-N-I-E. You pronounce it if you'd like. But he is a retired gentleman, lives in Vicksburg, and goes down to the coast every weekend. 
and buys shrimp and past Christiane and oysters and other seafoods that are available, brings them back to the market in Jackson, and also has a customer base of people who he delivers for them. So if you're interested in having Jimmy, I mean, we have our very own John Lester Lester here. If you're in the Vicksburg area or if, if you go to the farmer's market here in in Jackson, you'll run into Jimmy, and uh, he does a really good job. So from him, I bought shrimp, and I made these beautiful boiled shrimp uh, using the Arnaud's Romalade sauce. Well, I saw that you posted a picture on Cooking and Coping, and I, I love some of the comments. It was like, this is not enough. This is just an effort. <laughs> it was a, a beautiful picture with, yeah. you know. I only used two shrimps, so, of course, our <laughs> our people – so you can't you can't make a meal out of two you shrimp. must you must have abundance, but that reminds me that you know we've had some questions, and we'll talk later in the show about what people can do when you're landlocked and you don't have an ac- access to much seafood and farmers markets are a great great resource resource because a lot of entrepreneurial people do they drive to the coast and come back to a farmer's market on on uh, Saturday morning and when I was in Greenwood, we we had that. We had you know this this guy was did quite well. He'd bring a couple of hundred pounds of shrimp and would sell out by nine or ten o'clock in the morning. Right. Well, these were great. Uh, we just got a text from a listener who wanted <clears throat> us to elaborate on the soft herb, hard herb. We did this a few weeks ago, but I think when we reference it, we probably should explain it. So. If yeah, you, Mal, Mal introduced me to this concept as he had something in a restaurant in New Orleans that was topped with soft herbs, which led us to discover that soft herbs are herbs that you put on at the, you know, at the end of cooking or you garnish with. These would be herbs like uh, basil, dill, uh, mint, mint. Um, Marjoram. I mean, yeah. you could think of more, but the hard herbs are the hardier herbs that are, have more of a woody stem and mm-hmm. actually grow in the winter. And you put them in at the first of your cooking. You know, you, you think about it, they'll hold up in a stock pot or, uh, you know, something that cooks long. And this would be rosemary, bay leaves, bay leaves, thyme, oregano, oregano, your dried hearty ones versus your fresh soft ones yes so anyway yes we appreciate the uh text we're gonna take a break now when we come back we will be joined by uh a very inventive person and organization off the mississippi gulf coast talk about mississippi oysters they're in uh, a tough place uh the, the oysters and so people have started farm raising them uh and and anita uh anguillis and her family who own the french Hermit Oyster Company are going to tell us how they do that, why they do that, and how we can get our hands on some of those oysters to eat. So they've they've recently been uh, published and featured in Garden and Gun, but they're going to be on this show right here, Deep South Dining. Carol and I will be right back. Please stay tuned. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. 
Welcome back, Deep South Dining. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. Hello, Carol. Good morning, Mal. You know, uh, they say you can live longer if you eat more fish, but you can love longer if you eat more oysters. And we believe in that. So during my time down on the coast, I know that our organic, natural oyster population has been greatly damaged, mostly by... Uh, storms emptying water out of the Mississippi River into Lake Pontchartrain, which goes into the Gulf, destroys uh, the, the salinity um, of the water, and we've really struggled with our natural oyster crop in Mississippi. Uh, some other states have done better, perhaps Texas, Louisiana, um, and, and even Florida, but Mississippi's oysters have really struggled. And a couple of friends of mine, Julian Brunt being one, uh, started telling me a few years ago about a new company called the French Hermit Oyster Company that was farm-raising oysters uh, off of Deer Island in Mississippi. And then later, my friend Andrew Barrett, who worked with uh, DMR, worked with the oysters. And what is DMR now? That is the Department of Marine Resources based on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. It is a state agency that oversees all marine resources and activities. And so Andrew works there, and, and one of his jobs was working with the, with the oysters the, and trying to rebed and restart the oyster population. But anyway, uh, our next guest really began a, a different type of, of uh, oyster farming, and we want to hear all about that. So, Anita Anguillas, how are you? Where Good are morning. you? We're glad you're here. Hello, Malcolm. Hello, Carol. Yes, um, I'm here down on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, actually looking at the water here on the Mississippi Sound. Mm, sounds great. I'm looking at a delivery truck out the window at MPB in Jackson. <laughs> well, I hope they're delivering seafood. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about your company, your family business, and sort of how you got into it and what's it like. Okay, uh, so um, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, and I moved down to Biloxi to um, start a new life with my husband, Mike Arguelles, who is from Biloxi. And he is an oyster aficionado. Um, I call him the oyster evangelist because he loves to tell people about oysters. And uh, in 2018, uh, the DMR put together a program that was uh, financed by the Restore Act Fund, and it was to teach people in Mississippi that were interested in having off-bottom oyster farms in the uh, Mississippi Sound. And he wanted to do that, so we signed up as a couple, and we took this class. We learned all about raising oysters, and part of the class was hands-on, so we actually received some oysters, and we grew them out, and then we had them there. So we, we raised oysters, and... We were trying to figure out whether it was a hobby or a business, mm. and we started eating our crop, and we decided <laughs> it has to be a business because they taste so good. Now, is the French Hermit Oyster a type of oyster, or is that just the name of the company? So, it's the name of the company. All the oysters are the same species, which is the Virginica oyster, the Cassiotria Virginica oyster, and um, that's what we raised here in Mississippi and all along the Gulf of Mexico. Well, I love the story of of the French hermit that you named the company after. Can you give us a little snapshot of that? It's, it's interesting. Sure. Um, so, 
sure. Um, there was a fella who had come over from France and lived in a couple other places in the United States and, and the Keys. He, he had a home in the Keys. Got wiped out uh, by storms and some other uh, issues. He used to make green turtle soup, and he, mm. I think he just got disenfranchised with, um, you know, with the with people, and he went to live on Deer Island, which is just a stone's throw from Biloxi's coastline. So you can see Deer Island over there, and he set up house. He had a family, a wife out there, and a bunch of dogs, and he wrote out a couple of storms that. He was friendly to the natives, to the tourists, and so he would row out from Deer Island and sing French songs for tourists that were on the sailfish in Biloxi taking a trip. And then, but he also raised, he also had like an oyster reef that he uh, he harvested oysters and sold them in Biloxi. And so, such an interesting character. We thought it'd be, uh, you know, a great name for our company, the French Hermit. That he was the first one to raise oysters. And and what was his name? Uh, Jean Gilliot. Gilliot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is he with us or has he <clears throat> departed? He has departed, uh, but he left a long legacy of, of great tales and uh, interesting French songs. I, I think it's just so wonderful that you keep the legacy alive. I mean, we need need more things like that that can connect us to our past but I, I thought it was a charming name and a charming story yeah so tell us a little bit about the operation like how many oysters you have how many i know they're not beds i know they're in some sort of containers can you tell us a little bit about how that how that works sure so uh if you are familiar with uh Biloxi, you would go to the Biloxi small craft harbor and get in a boat and take a four and a half mile boat ride to the south side of Deer Island. And um, out there floating in the water, it's called the Deer Island Oyster Park as a a point of reference. And it's, um, I guess now almost 300 acres of oyster farming, uh, you know, appropriated for oyster farming. Right now there are probably 20 farmers that have leases out there. Mm -hmm. So we we lease, you can lease an acre or two acres, and um, we're only leasing the water column. So we don't lease like the riparian rights. We don't have access to the bottom. We just lease the water that's going Mm -hmm. through there. And we install these uh, floating cages. They are tethered to the bottom, but we install floating cages. And in those cages... Um, they've got two pontoons on them, and so they rest just slightly. The cage rests slightly under the surface of the water, and they have bags in there. And we have we we purchase what's called an oyster seed, but it's really just tiny baby oysters that we're going to grow out. Right. We put them in these bags, and then we go out there and tend them. And tending them is we don't feed them; they're they're eating phytoplankton, and um, we go out and. Uh, clean them, split them, and then put them back in the bag. And so we're uh, curating and cultivating these oysters out there at Deer Island. How long does it take a seed to to get to an edible oyster? So we buy a seed that's about a quarter inch tall, you know, tiny, and we grow them out, and the target is two and and three-quarters to three-inch oyster, and that takes, in the Mississippi Sound, usually about nine months. And we can raise, we can start harvesting on that batch of oysters after nine months. The racehorses are going to grow first, you know, got 
racehorses and runs in every lot, and the racehorses are going to be ready first, and that's usually about nine months. Uh, can you explain to our listeners what a racehorse and a grunt is? No, a runt. A runt. Oh, I know a what runt. a grunt is. <laughs> a runt. So any, any, you know, if you were to raise other animals, you would have animals that mature faster and some that would mature slower. And so that's what I mean by racehorses and runts. We have some that are, are ready in nine months, and then some might be ready in 11 months. 11 months and then the runts may they may never get to be the the right market size we may have to eat those ourselves <laughs> well it sounds like a good default and i, I was reading on your your website uh that you have other couples who have i don't know if it's adjacent leases or what that that you partner with is how does that work well, uh, Carol, thanks for mentioning that. That's really important to us. So when we were out there at this, um, you know, all learning how to raise oysters, because we're all in one area, it's kind of like a community, if you you know what I mean. We're out there in boats. Sometimes we need some help. Sometimes we're helping other people. And so we decided to form a collective of farmers. Everybody has their own farm. They have their own expenses. But we sell oysters together. Since they're in the same water and we're all raising them the same, they look the same, they taste the same. And so um, Leslie's oysters look the same as Mike Arguelles' oysters. And so we market them all as, as our group of farmers as French Hermit. And that makes it really easy because one week maybe my boat's not working and uh, what, you know, her boat is working, and so it helps us with our supply chain management. Too. And so, those are are you have the Fountains and the Gwens are the other families, or, or are there more since you uh, have so your? There are more. Uh, so we've had uh, you know every class that graduates from um, this program. So we took a class the first year, and they've had uh, classes come out every year since. So they had class in 2019, 2020, and 2021. And those farmers may choose to join the French Hermit group, and then and then we all sell our oysters together. That's great. Yeah. So what about market? Where is your market? Where can you, where can our listeners find your oysters, try them in restaurants or at markets or uh, seafood outlets? So, um, we sell to, through distribution. Primarily, most of our oysters leave the coast of Mississippi. A few stay here. So if you're in Biloxi, uh, White Pillars has them, Vestige has them, IP. So there are a handful of uh, cake and barrel. Sometimes we keep them. And so there are a handful of restaurants here on the coast that have them. And then um, they go off to two distributors primarily, and they go to seven states so far. Mm. And then chefs will put them on their menu and, and – um, you know, uh, oysters these days, these farm-raised oysters are kind of like wines. They're kind of, right. uh, you right. know, they have their own flavors. They talk about them. Most of them are served on the half-shell raw. Uh, and so we have oysters in Nashville and uh, Birmingham, Atlanta, uh, Memphis, uh, Snack Bar, and, and Fishes at the Snack Bar in Oxford has oysters. So if you're in Mississippi and you're up in that area, be sure to check them out Um uh, French Hermit up there, and and Jackson. There are lots of restaurants. LV's has our oysters. I know almost all the time. So you can find those uh, restaurants. And I usually publish 
a list of those restaurants that have the oysters on our Facebook page. Hey, Anita, this is Java, and I appreciate you saying that the oysters are like wine because I myself have never eaten an oyster. I can go ahead and put that on the record. So if I was to, I guess, um, partake in some French hermit oysters, what kind of, uh, I guess, taste would I be expecting, or is it just slimy like everybody says? (laughs) Java. You're talking to the wrong people, Java. So, Java, thanks for asking. Yeah, um, no, they actually do have different flavors. And it's kind of, they're raised in different waters. There are different minerals in those waters, different, um, uh, you know, other types of flavors in the water. So, our oyster is going to be really, for one thing, it's really plump. It eats a lot, a lot of phytoplankton out there. And so, it kind of fills every little crevice of its shell. And then um, in that, uh, in some recent articles, they talked about, you know, having a flavor of lettuce and butter and kind of, kind of a green tea kind of flavors, cucumber. Um, kale. And so it's kind of a very fresh, yeah, kale. It's very fresh flavored oyster, um, you know, not metallic. And so, and, and our salt, uh, because we have to battle here on the coast, you know, high salinities, low salinities. We, we uh, find that those oysters taste the best when they're about in the 21 salt, you know, in, the, in, the, in that range, uh, salt level 21. Now, so they do taste, that's their unique flavor. If you were blindfolded and we set up six different oysters, you would, you would be able to say each of those oysters tasted different if they came from different farms, Florida farms or Alabama farms, Mississippi farms. Texas, Louisiana. Florida, yeah. So Malcolm, I, it sounds like we need a road trip with yeah, we, Java. We don't even have to get on the road. Yeah, we can do it right here in Jackson. Um, I had heard a story that in this recent storm that you guys actually lifted all your oysters up and moved them into the into the uh, salt flats to protect them from from the storm. Is, is was that you? And is that the right story? Well, we do it, we do the different process, but we um, on two different occasions. Um, we, so we have two different issues. One is if the body carry spillway up there on Lake Pontchartrain opens up and brings in a bunch of fresh water, then our oysters will die. Right. Um, because they can't, they they don't open up in low salinity. So if salinities drop below three, then they're not eating, and so they will perish. So um, when the body carry opened up in 2020, we took our oysters over to Bayou Labattery and mm. put them in cages over there. Gotcha. So they, and we could only take the small ones because our market size oysters, they they eat more, they need more, and so they died off like in a day or two. They just were real quick. But um, the other thing that we do is when we're looking at a hurricane, we uh, make a decision as a group of farmers out there. We t- we have a text message string. We talk about the storm, and we go out and we sink our cages to the bottom, and that kind of protects them from that wave action and right. ripping those cages and destroying them and setting those oysters afloat in the Gulf of Mexico. So those are kind of our you know our emergency plans right there. Great. Well, we certainly do appreciate you coming on and telling us a little bit about your operations. Fascinating stuff. Um, we can't wait to, to take uh, uh, 
uh, take Java out for an oyster lunch, yeah. uh, and we will certainly order. The, and we, we're just so grateful to y'all for keeping the Mississippi oyster industry alive. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know what a significant industry that that has historically been for Mississippi. Yeah. And I grew up uh, around past Christian or in past Christian in the summers. And, you know, Malcolm has spent a lot of time in Bay St. Louis. And, you know, past Christian had some of the largest oyster reefs in the world. So it's good, right. good to have somebody carrying on the tradition. And if you would, share with well, us your information where our listeners can go and learn more about your business in the French Hermit Oyster Company. Sure. If you uh, go to a webpage at uh, frenchhermit.com, you'll find our oyster company. And then also um, you can call Quality Seafood in Biloxi and order a sack of oysters. So, um plan to do that sometime and you know they distribute in jackson i saw um i saw their truck um at the corner market the other day and i stopped and spoke to the gentleman driving the truck and he said oh yeah you know quality comes up to jackson every week so i made a mental note of that okay all right sounds great thank y'all for having me today thank you very much anita arguelles with the French Hermit Oyster Company in Biloxi, Gulfport, Mississippi Gulf Coast, right off of Deer Island, is where they raise these oysters. Fascinating story about our unique uh, and never-ending uh, fascination with uh, food, seafood, and, and Mississippi as a, as a state. So we're going to take a little break, come back. we got a variety of things we want to talk about here from, from uh, plant based eating to answering a listener's question about where to find seafood in small land bound communities around the state and we'll take your calls uh kathleen hang on we'll get to you as soon as we get back we appreciate you listening and you calling malcolm carroll java we shall return welcome back deep south dining carol puckett malcolm white java chapman and on the phone one of our favorite listeners, Kathleen from Osaka. Hello, Kathleen. Well, good morning. I am so tickled about your interview you had with that lady. I mean, telling the Cajun about oysters, I'm going, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to call and tell you all about the spaghetti squash soup. And everybody goes, yeah, you know, because they go squash, you know. But you take it, cut it in half lengthwise. Mm-hmm. Put the seeds out, put them aside, you can plant them next spring, you know. But uh, you rub it with butter. I mean, you know, this is not a meat dish, so you have some fat in it. And then you put salt, pepper. I use black and red, just a little bit of both. Good for and you. And then I keep Huh? I said good for you. I like the combo. <laughs> yeah, if it... Like I said, the the pepper, red peppers, the fruit, and the black peppers, the seed, it, it tastes completely different. But mm-hmm. together, in a southern soup, good. I cheat a little bit, though. I use that McCormick poultry seasoning and sprinkle that. Okay. Then I fill up a big roasting pan about an inch and a half of water. Put the squash in it lengthwise. Turn the oven up to 350. Let it go. And then you just poke it when the, the fork or knife will go through the skin really quick. You're done. You take it, you add some, in a separate pot, uh, three kinds of onions, the white, the shallots, any kind of onion you want. Um, You can chop parsley. You can chop up turnips. You can chop up kale. 
uh, Heart of Romaine, in that you saute it very lightly. Then you pour the water that's in there, and when it kind of mixes well, which is just a few seconds, you know, half a minute, then you add some milk. Uh, some people can even add a little bit of instant potatoes to make it thicker. Mm. If you want, you don't have to. But uh, then you put the uh, whole remaining um, squash in there. You scrape it, not the peeling, of course. My rabbit gets that. But <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to deny the rabbit any of his food or her food. I, I'm not, I recycle everything. I'm either cheap or very frugal. Take your pick. <laughs> but uh, the, the soup, when it gets in there, very good. Now, you can eat it a total vegetarian uh, dish, but... Being from New Orleans, we used to put crab meat in it. Ah, that's good. Or you could use shrimp, or you could use chicken, you know. Uh, it's a little bit light for beef, but, you know, yeah. you can do what you want. But it's really delicious. Mm. And it makes a lot. So if you're going to a, a pot dinner or bringing something for the holidays to someone, all they got to do is heat it up. You got the meat, you got so, uh, sauce and everything right there. And French bread, the nerdy. That sounds delicious. Spaghetti, spaghetti squash soup by Kathleen. Oh, it wasn't by me. I stole it from someone. <laughs> As we all do. All right, Kathleen, thank you so much for listening. Call one quick question. What's the rabbit's name? Lestico. Lestico. All right. Kathleen from Osaka, thank you so much. Carol? Well, one of the things that we talked about uh, as we were heading into 2022 was 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 more plant-based food and you said that you were going to adopt and work at a meatless monday regiment how's that going well there's only been one monday so 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 far so good but uh i am going to howl and mouth for lunch today so mm. i have to see what i can find but you know for me doing plant-based is not difficult uh you know i really enjoy plant-based foods but to me meatless monday is more about you know mindfulness of thinking about every week it makes me stop and think you know what is going to be my food for the week you know how can i uh, yeah deal with that so um i'm really excited about it yeah well that's that's good and and a lot of what i cooked over the weekend was meatless uh except for the the fish i mean but but i with my greens and squashes no meat i didn't use any sort of salt pork or bacon yeah. or anything and i just cooked it with olive oil and kept it clean i just feel that we're so lucky to live in a time where you know it is easier when you go to restaurants and um yeah to people's homes to get more plant-based food it, it's just i think our diet is evolving in that direction uh, i'm going to do some you know, pasta and greens mm. this week make, mixed together. You know, add a little, uh, you know, fresh Parmesan to it. I'm doing uh, a bean and cheese burrito. Oh, that so, sounds good. Yeah, kind of have a good week coming up. Well, we had a question from a listener last week. We didn't quite get to it, and that was from Sally Kilbrew, who lives in Oxford, asking about suggestions or tips about getting fresh seafood 
in, in communities that are landlocked. And so we're going to report out to Sally and all of our listeners on two things. One is sort of tips about buying fresh fish, whether it's in a, from a farmer's market vendor or from a grocery store. And then, Carol, you're going to help us talk more about where you can find uh, fresh seafood in small communities like the work you did in, in Greenwood at the farmer's market and that sort of stuff. So you want to go first with some yeah. tips? Yeah. So one of the tips when buying fresh uh, fish at a grocery store is uh, texture. Make sure the, the meat of the fish is firm, moist, and freshly cut without any dry spots on it. Now, this would either require you or the uh, fishmonger to touch it, but often they have gloves, uh, and sometimes they will let you. So, so it's about the texture. Yeah, and, and it is okay for you to ask the fish guy. You know, he has the fish on a piece of paper to lean over the counter and mm-hmm. show the fish to you. It's right. okay. And another one is smells. Uh, if you think that your fish sh- should have a strong fishy smell, the strong odor actually may be a sign that the fish is past its prime. Your fish, your fresh fish should smell like seawater or cucumber. That is such a great tip. It your, really your, is. But, you know, your your nose is your best indicator. Right. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't um, smell fish, right, it, doesn't smell, it ain't right. Yeah. So. And the eyes of the fish are another way. If you're buying a whole fish, the eyes should be crystal clear, plump, wet, and shiny. No glossed over, no stoned yeah, out no eyes. No white, yeah. No stoned out <laughs> eyes. That's good, Mal. If, if, if the fish's eyes look cloudy or sunken or dry, then it's probably not fresh and you want to move on. And finally, go straight home after you buy your fish or as quickly as you can. Don't run multiple errands after you buy sea, fresh seafood and put it in the car because, you know, cars get hot. And it could cause the quality of the fish or seafood, its quality, texture, and flavor to fade. For optimum freshness, cook your fish within 24 hours of purchasing it. That's a good tip. I don't adhere to the 24 hours. Uh, you know, that doesn't work for me sometimes. But what I do is I keep a freezer bag in my car at all times. And yeah, you know, just one of those yeah. Zip. those kind of zippy, silvery mm-hmm. freeze. Oh, oh, yeah, gotcha. yeah, those kind of bags. And when you go to the fr- uh, fish market or when you go to your grocery store, you know, ask them to put a plastic bag with a little bit of ice with your fish, and you know, drop it in there. That's a great way to handle it. Then, when I get home, immediately I put the fish in a bowl have a glass bowl that I uh, you, yeah put the fish in a bowl and cover it with ice and put it in the refrigerator Great. so you're really keeping that fish fresh and if you're you, if you are waiting more than one day you know as the ice melts change it out but it it really mm. uh does a great job ke- uh, keeping fish fresh now to our listener about finding fresh seafood in landlocked communities what advice do you have? You for know, that? that question really hit me last week. We were in the middle of the show, and she texted in during the show, and we really didn't have time to talk about it because, you know, most people in Mississippi live far from the Gulf Coast and, you know, far from the, the ocean. So this is, 
yeah, this is a problem, especially in small towns when you do, where you don't have bigger grocery chains. Mm-hmm. And in communities where there are significant grocery chains, you know, Kroger's and Corner Market and, and those type, you know, it, it's a general rule. This is a general rule. You know, fish comes in on Tuesdays and Thursdays or Tuesdays and Fridays okay. at grocery stores most time. So it's really good to shop around those days. You don't want to buy fish on Monday. And if you're not sure, ask the yeah. fish. when their fish cook. Cause they'll what come days in do the, they arrive? They'll yeah. come in. Yeah, the, the, and, and, of course, everybody pretty much in the state has fresh catfish. But there's, you know, when you want to move before uh, beyond catfish, you know, there, uh, there are a lot of things you can do. First of all, technology has changed so much with frozen fish. Mm-hmm. So much of the fish that you can buy now in the markets is flash frozen on the boat. Correct. And that has been a real game changer. That's true of, of shrimp as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the the product quality is so high. And, you know, we, we really need to make use of our resources with frozen fish in our grocery stores because it is not an inferior product. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is not fresh off the boat, but a lot of times it's fresher than the fish that you will buy at the market because it has been flash frozen. And there's also this newish movement of uh, inviting seafood vendors to farmer's markets along with your growers, your farmers, and and that's really a, a, a great place to find. Like where I found shrimp. Uh, on Saturday was was at the farmers market, it, and it's a wonderful op- entrepreneurial opportunity for people to drive to the Gulf Coast and bring seafood back. You know, the other thing about freezing is fish freezes so well that when you do go to the coast, when you do go on vacation, or you're somewhere that has a great fish market, you know, buy the fish and freeze it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I have a little, I have, you know, I looked up some seafood storage guides, and this this is just going to kind of give you an idea of, of you know, how long your, your fish will last. But, okay, like, for example, flounder and other, you know, fish fillets that mm-hmm. we get from the Gulf, purchased commercially frozen, you can keep them in the freezer for 10 to 12 months. Um, if you purchase the fish yourself fresh and uh-huh. are just using your own freezing method, six to eight months. Okay. And then it said if, it, if it's never been frozen, thawed, or previously frozen, you know, 36 to 48 hours from mm-hmm. from when you, per, you know, when you purchase it. But, you know, that that's pretty strong that frozen fish can last at a high quality for a year. Yeah, and there's this new methodology of which we received our salmon where you can now have fresh seafood shipped in dry ice packed in these amazing containers, and you can get almost anything fresh. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, I checked pricing on, on some of those, the Internet fish market, and you know, it's amazing what you can get. And I wanted to name a few because I looked, I looked at quite a few. Some of them I already uh, knew about. But the Fulton Street, I mean, the Fulton Fish Market, I guess that's in Seattle. Right. 
that's one of the number one sources for getting. It's one of the most popular. When you see top ten lists, they're always in the top one, two, or three. Okay. But you can order, and the fish is shipped to you next day. And they have a huge variety of fish. And one of the things that interested me a lot is they have, like, packages for our friends who are who are inland. Like, they have a uh, grilling bundle. Oh, I mean, okay. you can get, like, a grilling bundle for four or a grilling bundle for six. Uh, you can get get different different kits. All of these sites that I looked at have wonderful recipes. But So, Fulton Fish market.com and another one called crowd cow crowd cow. crowd cow and it has as it sounds like you know beef and everything but a beautiful fish selection highly rated uh you know five stars from their customers uh, another one I like that's frozen that's you know crowd cow and Fulton you can fresh. get fresh mm-hmm. for frozen fish it's one called sizzle fish sizzle fish doesn't that sound great? It's fun to say. Yeah, it is fun to Particularly say. Particularly on the radio. And then one I have personally used is Vital Choice. Oh, okay. And, you know, I got that. My dad, who is no longer with us, he was a, a Vital Choice customer for years. But you can get on a subscription with them, a monthly subscription. And uh, yeah, John and I get halibut and tuna and... Um, Salmon and they're they're packaged in little three ounce portions. So yeah, I just keep some in the in the freezer and like John likes the tuna and pasta, so I okay. do like a little Alfredo sauce with that. But those are some good ones: FultonFishMarket.com, Vital Choice, Crowd Cow, and Sizzlefish. Sizzlefish. All right, that about does it for another Monday of Deep South Dining. We really appreciate your attention. Joining us and for our callers, we appreciate it. We apologize to Mikey from Mobile who held for a little while there, and we were in the middle of our uh, seafood roundup. So we'll hopefully talk to you next week, Mikey. Thanks for listening. Always thanks for calling. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners just like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman for my co-host Carol Puckett and our special guest Anita Arguelles from the French Hermit Oyster Company on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I'm Malcolm White saying please stay tuned now for Marshall Ramsey's show Now You're Talking followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And Carol and I and Java and all of us will be right here every Monday for Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio.